Welcome on in, new and repeat listeners to the ASI Podcast. This is Season 7, Episode Number 6, Porn, Quiet and Quarrels in Quarantine. Quarrels with one's partner, quarrels with oneself. How's it going out there? Russ at ASI247.org. I've got a brand new email set up. Same email address, but <laughs> a new system of communicating with listeners. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, again, Russ at ASI247.org. Got a treat for you all today. My good friend and repeat guest, Seth Taylor, stops by the old podcast once again. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Okay, stop. All right. That's, that's that that'll do it. Before preparation of this episode via text message, Seth and I were chatting about something to do with coronavirus quarantine or whatever, and this song came up from uh my buddy Seth. It's a local band that did pretty well. You may have heard of them. Uh Pearl Jam's brand new album, Vigaton. Oh, is that what I'm in? I'm in the Punk Theology Studio doing an ASI podcast. <laughs> this is nice. uh, that's right, man. This and is, I'm drinking uh, tea. Uh, this is the wrong beverage. What tea is, is the wrong beverage, I assume, for for to be in this this studio. No, I'm drinking tea. I had a little espresso, oh, okay. but I I finished a bottle of scotch tonight, and I told my wife that is my last drink until we're going on, we're going to, on a vacation in June, you know, beach kind of thing. I said, I, am, I had the quarantine, I've got quarantine gut. And I've never had a real gut in my life, but I've got quarantine gut. <laughs> and it's, I just told her, that's it, that's it, I'm done. Because I've been, I, I've been drinking way more than I usually drink. Like, I just, yeah. every night, man, we're just like finishing it with a, you know, a couple glasses of scotch or something. I'm kind of poor, so I'm drinking, I have a Manny's glass. Nice. This is not Manny's, by the way. Okay. <laughs> I can't afford Manny's. Georgetown Brewery here in Seattle, my, uh, you know. Is that a PBR? Are you drinking PBR in a Manny's glass? No, it's it's even worse. It's natural light. Wait, that's not. Is that non-alcoholic? No, it's no, it's kind of alcohol. It's okay. just very light beer. It's mostly yeah, water, it's very, which is fine. Yeah, yeah, that's all right. Uh, it's good to see you, man. It's, uh, it's you, you, you got a lot going on with. What I do. You I am busier than I've ever been in my entire life right now. It's been. Pretty. The My Pilgrimage uh, podcast is getting up and running, I hear. Your brother. Yeah, we're hoping, uh, hoping to launch that by mid-May. Um, we, it's kind of exciting news. My Pilgrimage, mypilgrimage.com. Um, it's actually, the site's down right now because we recently got um, X Church, basically had a big shift in leadership, and they've kind of gone hard right, to be honest. Uh-huh. And you know, My Pilgrimage is not a, not a hard right um, theological space, and so... We went to them and said, would you guys, we see that you're probably not going to have the support for this anymore. Would you guys allow us to take it? And they just said, yep, go for it. You know, 
just give nice. us a little cut if you guys ever do anything with it. And of course they didn't know that we were just planning on giving it away. So like, so, so we are in the process of opening, we've created a pretty epic library to be honest with you of, of video content, just hours and hours and hours of video content and teaching and all kinds of stuff. But, and it's been behind this wall and triplex church has been trying to sell it for years. And we finally just decided that it was time to open it up because, uh, you know, freedom should be free. So we're, we're, uh, you know, when my pilgrimage.com launches again, it'll be, it'll be mostly just, you, you can, there's a resource center. You just sign up and you can just go right in and, and take advantage of it. And when I start a podcast and just start giving voices and we're going to have rushed on the podcast at some point. And I don't know if I can fly you to Maui though. It's going to be based out of Maui where my brother lives, but oh, <laughs> pretty cool. sure you're going to have to be here in Seattle. We'll have to do it remotely. Cause I'm not sure the, uh, maybe we'll do it from the punk theology. Studios there. <laughs> Who knows? But yeah, that's yeah. awesome, man. And, yeah. and I like what you guys got going on with that. And it's, it's a different approach. And I wanted to talk about a little theology today yeah. on the show um, because I think it's important. People that are yeah. follow you and, and people that have followed the ASI podcast over the years. I've, I, we yeah. both have a pretty deep spiritual thread to these things. And it's hard for folks. And I try to explain that in the last few episodes. Um, philosophically, the word spirit, for example, means the value of the thing that you can't put a price on, right? Like you can't eat it. You can't consume well, I, I would it. need you to un- unpack that a bit for me. <laughs> okay. So you can't consume it. You can't sell it. You can't put a price tag on it. You can't have sex with it, right? Um, it's, it's, it's a value of if something. If you can, you... people will find a way. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Somebody somewhere will find a way to have sex with it. Right. But that's kind of the philosophical right definition of uh of spirit and in the theological term spirit is breath right like that's what the word means breath or breathing out life uh so explain to me a little bit seth you know and i know i've had you on the show before i don't want to rehash things but just getting into your approach Spiritually, um, you wrote a book called Feels Like Redemption, where you explain a lot of your story. You and I both yeah. grew up and like, you know, we were holy rollers. We were Pentecostal, you know, like chosen ones. I right. Mean, that was the way I was raised, man. Yeah. Yeah. And just a lot of the stuff we learned was, was not helping with breaking the cycle of habitual, you know, unwanted sexual behavior. Right. Well, yeah, I mean, for me, actually, it's funny because for me, it didn't really, I was, I didn't have any unwanted, quote unquote, sexual behavior until uh, I was about 27, right? Like when I got married is when it started for me. And right. and it's just because I was so repressed. It was just mind blowing. I mean, yeah. at age 24, I, I wouldn't, I don't think I knew what masturbation meant. No, <laughs> I probably learned by then. I think it was about 19, 20 years old, I finally learned that. But I mean, I was so repressed. And so, I mean, no one had ever told me, taught me anything. I came from a space where, where, I mean, it was, it was hardcore purity culture. I mean, I was smack in the center of the purity culture. Um, So it was, yeah, yeah, it was very, very, very repressed. And, and my, honestly, I mean, my religious upbringing was, it wasn't the cause of my trauma. Well, I mean, it was part of my trauma, but, but it was the cause of the repression of my sexuality, which led to addiction. 
Right. No question. That word repressed can be a trigger word for a lot of religious folks I've noticed. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, and that's something I had to explain on the show. Like, repression is not, like, like, some people look at that and say, oh, well, if you're not repressed, then you're just, like, having sex with anyone, you're taking your pants off at the, at the bus stop or whatever, right? Like, that's not what yeah. it means. The, the opposite yeah. of sexual self-control, it's not repression, right? Well, what was funny is it, I think you have to start at the polars, at the, at the, you know, at the poles, right? You've got complete repression and the, and the, the repress or the late, if you look at your sexuality as a fundamental evil, which I think, you know, there's, there's quite a large segment of the Christian culture that sees it that way. They see it as a fundamental evil, you know, maybe not consciously, but unconsciously, they definitely treat it that way. And then the other polar opposite is, is it what you're saying? We could say radical freedom, radical freedom is you can do anything you want, period. You have sex with a totem pole. If you want, I mean, it's just whatever you want to do, you can do whenever you want to do it because no matter what you do, the divine perspective never changes. Right. It, it is, a fixed point in the universe of love period mm-hmm. and that is what we call grace and i i think the writers of the new testament for the most part were pretty radical when it came to their understanding of that you know mm-hmm. and i think jesus was quite radical when he in his understanding of that but you have to start that has to be the starting point right okay we're either we are either trash or we are completely free and you have to choose your starting line you know what i mean yeah. and and that was the thing when, when I came to freedom, it wasn't so much like, you know, finding a new spot on the journey. It was more just like, look, finally able to look back and just erase that process and start over. Like my new starting point is freedom. Right. And that's what we wrote. I mean, I don't know, I don't know if you remember this, but our very first, our working title, um, when my brother and I were working on that book on feels like redemption, we called it, uh, um, porn pilgrim. And it, and it was like, uh, and it was the quest for freedom you can feel. And it was like, we're starting over. We're starting this journey over. And my brother created, he took a, a, an old painting. Remember Pilgrim's Progress? Yeah. Remember that, that classic, you know? He took yeah. the, the classic painting of, of Pilgrim and he's got his backpack and his staff and he's got his Bible in his hands and he's, he's kind of looking up and the light of God is shining down, right? And he's walking and he took it and he, he photoshopped, he took the Bible out and he photoshopped a, a, a Playboy. Like into his, into his hands, <laughs> it was porn pilgrim. <laughs> and of course, when Triple X Church picked it up, they're like, "Well, we got to change the title." And I remember Craig, Craig, I'm like, "Why, man? It's pretty great." And he's like, "Yeah, you, you can't put porn in the title, man." I'm like, why not? <laughs> it'll, it'll, people will love that. Right. But uh, but you know, that was the idea: is that we decided that's it. We're going to begin from the standpoint that we are good at our core, the Imago Day, right? That is the theological idea, yeah. and that radical freedom is the starting point that nothing 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 i can do can separate me from the love of god and the grace that was given period and and that's tough though because that starts to dismantle a lot of theological structures lots and lots and lots of theological structures but even the theological structures doesn't really matter i mean it triggers people not because the belief systems or the theologies are different it triggers people because it, it you to in order to go down that path fully you have to first die all the things that have been keeping you alive, all those belief systems and all that trauma and all that, all the garbage that you have going on inside you has to die and you have to kind of lose yourself before you can actually find that type of freedom. And 
you know, I don't even try. I mean, it's funny. I, I, on my pilgrimage, there's this one guy. We have a Facebook group for my pilgrimage. It's kind of a, you know, closed group. And we have this guy. You got this one guy that keeps going. And, and he's the only guy in the entire thing that just every once in a while just wants to come on and just be an a-hole. And just he's a hardcore, unconscious, conservative, right-wing you guys are all hell is real just period and he just slams away so people people for the most part in that group it's a group where you facilitate stories people tell their stories there's a lot of grace there's a lot of love there's a lot of wisdom there's a lot of insight there's a lot of honesty there's a lot of vulnerability and you got the one (laughs) a-hole that just comes in and every time i get in there you know i you know i asked him he somebody was talking about i don't i'm not sure hell is real and he just comes in and he says hell period is period real period period and it is real. And then, and that, and he starts doing this thing. And I, and, and I said, Hey, can you, can you tell us uh, how you know that? And he said, I'm not going to answer that ridiculous question. And I finally said, well, okay, I will remind, and everybody knows he's the a-hole. And so I just, you know, said, so we'll remind, I'm going to remind you, you know, Hey, I'll remind you one more time, you know, that why you can't insult people here, you know, and he gets in there and he starts going, here's the theology here, this is how it is. It's the place of eternal damnation and all this kind of stuff. Now, I have a master's degree in theology, okay? And, and that doesn't make me more special, but I'm a hell of a lot more educated theologically than most people, right? And I can, I can sit there and just tell this guy everything about where his belief system came from, who yeah. came up with it, why they came up with it, the purposes, the political mm-hmm. purposes that it played, all that kind of stuff. It wouldn't do anything at all, nothing, yeah nothing theological can have an impact on just about anybody. It just doesn't change that way. But grace does. You know? Social media is kind of like that, right? Like I've noticed that about social media. You're just sort of grinding away at someone. You're not changing anyone's mind. That's a weird thing. When there's not that (laughs) face-to-face, eye-to-eye thing, people can just go on for hours and just... Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. And it's not even... I mean, the face-to-face, the eye-to-eye, there's an energetic component to it. When you shift energetically. So like, you know, this guy was going at me and I just said, Hey, I said, Hey, I'm not going to try to convince you you're wrong. It's okay. You can think what you want to think. I said, but, but kindness has to happen. And and I'll just take intelligence at this point. If you can just be intelligently articulate why you think the way you do that, I'd be helpful. I just literally approached him that way. Instead of going, Hey, I have a master's degree in theology and you don't know what the hell you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. But, and the cool thing is he went, okay, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be such a tool. That's what he said. I'm like, yeah, you know, don't be a tool. You know? Yeah, and then it's all, and then all, everything's okay. It was all good because there's an energetic shift to it. And then we did that typing, you know, but there is something about that, like the way Facebook facilitates conversation and stuff like that, that is uniquely, um, uniquely barricaded, uniquely. Um, I mean, we just, it is a giant echo chamber, you know, yeah. and I don't know. I mean, right now it's a fascinating thing because I just want to unfriend every, every single friend I have that disagrees with me. I just want to unfriend them. And it's not because I can't handle disagreement. It's just because I don't like reading that shit. <laughs> it's yeah. like, and I'm certainly not going to engage in it. I'm not going to argue with it. I'm not going to do any of that. It doesn't do anybody any good. You know? I find I the mean, people that can, though, are, are more like those are the people I want to stay friends with, you know? Like yeah. if we disagree, why do we have to break up, you know? There's some sure. people that just can't. They just can't yeah. stay just, in the room. Well, in Facebook, so it's not speak. a place you can. I can hang with a friend I disagree with in person. Yeah, Facebook. This is no point. There's no point in engaging in this because it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a weaponized space. Exactly, it is. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's a weaponized space. But it, like, if we can, like, even when I when I came and did your guys' punk theology thing all that time ago, you know, I, I mean, I didn't agree with anybody in the room, you know. Mm-hmm. 
and you know and they and some of them were kind of somewhat weaponized but i like I, but we could sit there and we could work in grace with each other and love and love with each other and there's a there's a space for that there but you know i mean we social media for the most part is a very weaponized instagram actually has as toxic as it is you know it doesn't facilitate the same type of uh you know kind of ver- you know verbal violence you know if you will you yeah. know that that facebook does but i don't know it's really something to watch it right now it's take it's a whole different monster and it's just so fascinating to watch with this giant everybody in the world is triggered at the same time which is why you'd mentioned before we started recording how you know porn is just shot through the roof well, it's because yeah. the entire world's triggered <laughs> like everybody yeah. is triggered and they're like where can i feel loved accepted safe where can I feel like the world is, you know, the way it's supposed to be again? Well, porn, you know, yeah, that's a, yeah, that's something that uh, our friend Jay Stringer said, he was talking yeah. about the, the marketing of, of pornography in Italy. And one of the things that they, that Pornhub used to, to reel people in was like, um, to keep you company, right. During this yeah. pandemic, uh, we've, you know, eliminated whatever the, fees for joining premium or whatever it is right but i thought that was interesting language you know that's an interesting language from a porn company on how to reel people in hey you don't have to be a loaning company right right (laughs) come on in we've got company uh and and i don't like some of the and you and i talked about that a lot i think that's part of where we hit it off like i don't necessarily like disease language Sure. And I, I, this triggered me <laughs> when I was in recovery for alcohol, for example, and I'm still like, I still drink. I just don't drink myself unconscious sure. anymore. But according to AA, right. I should never drink again because I have the gene and right. And all right. that, yeah. that stuff. Um, and, and I always had that, that thing in the back of my head when they would talk about the disease. And I'm like, I don't know anyone, Seth, who would go into a Seven Eleven, for example, and buy a six pack of coronavirus, right? right like no right. one does that. No one, right, orders up on Amazon, you know, right. send me uh, herpes, or, right? right? Like no one, no right. one does that. It's not, it's not right. that kind of disease, right? Right. Yeah. Well, and and that's a again, disease is a word. Disease. Yeah. All it means is there's something wrong here, and it's just easier to label something and medicate it, you know, than it is to actually try to dive into the depth of what it actually is. And that's, you know, for most people, that's how it is. I mean, the coronavirus has been really interesting to watch because ultimately it's playing the role of robbing us of our most basic narrative that we are safe. Yeah. Right? It robs us of the, of the narrative. We, we, I, hopefully the world is coming to a recognition that we were under an illusion that we were safe and secure yeah. and that we had control because we never had any of those things. We had the illusion of those things. And I get, I get that. I mean, human, human evolution is a story of trying to come more and more and more and more to a place of safety and security so that we can elevate to higher ways of being. You know, it's Maslow's hierarchy, right? But, yeah. but it is an illusion. Just, the, yeah. just like that, it was all taken away. Yeah. All of it. Taken, I mean, the madness that we saw in the first, first few weeks, right? The toilet papers, you know, gone and the, you know, all the, you know, the way the conspiracy theories have gone crazy, you know, and all that kind of thing. And the insanity, I mean, I'm, it's fascinating watching right now how, you know, we're coming to that spot now where the, the economic impact is very intense. Right. Yeah. And I'm watching people I know and love family members, you know, on Facebook every day, just blasting away at how we've got to get back to work. We got to get back to work because 
you know, I have a friend of mine who made like probably $700,000 last year and, and, and has watched all that kind of fall apart. And, and it's a weird thing because the way they're talking is the sky is falling and we're all going to die. Yeah. And I just want to grab them and just shake them and smack them kind of airplane style, you know, pop, pop. Hey, yeah. get a hold of yourself. You're still here. Yeah. You're still here and everybody's you're okay. So you're going to be all right. Let's just, but just take a deep breath and let's get this virus the fuck out of here, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know? And this is one of those points, yeah. speaking of theology, I'm reminded of uh, Ecclesiastes 7, right? Like, I love mm. that chapter, like where yeah. it, it, the Gospel Coalition shared this. I didn't read the whole story, but they shared this piece of that that said um, funerals are better than festivals. Sometimes <laughs> funerals are better than festivals. And again, going back to that definition of spiritual, right? Like yeah. the idea of what's valuable is in the toilet right now. All the plans that people had, including myself and my wife, we thought, you yeah. know, I was starting to make some money. Things were going pretty well. Um, yeah. We were going to go to Vancouver, BC, spend the weekend there, do some record shopping, buy vinyl, you know, at all these cool hipster record shops in Vancouver, you know, and uh, like, uh, yeah. that's not happening. But, but other people, like they had it's not just the plans it's you know it's it's prom it's um my sports i mean and you've done some work in that area like so there's people's <laughs> identity is attached to yeah. my senior year yeah i mean i could, that, yeah. some of that stuff is heavy right so yeah oh man it's been wild it's been wild to watch all the loss i lost a lot of stuff i lost a book deal six-figure book deal um uh, i lost uh because the, the company that was going to publish it all their offices got shut down i i lost a bunch of really good speaking gigs i lost i lost sounders timbers tickets eighth row <laughs> five hundred dollars i spent on these tickets i mean i lost a lot of stuff but what's funny is that every single thing you know I, rob bell taught me this i remember him said you know i asked him one time i said how do you do transitions well that was my question and he just said um you have funerals lots of them that's what he said it's ironic you say it like that. He said, you have funerals. He goes, everything, he goes, you have to grieve well. You have to be good at grieving because every, for everything you gain, you lose something else. And a lot of people struggle to move forward into that next thing because they, there's some part of them still clinging and not willing to grieve the loss of the other thing, even if it's something that was difficult, you know? And yeah. that's the thing. I've watched people losing and losing and losing, and they're still clinging to the old thing, you know? instead of being able to recognize it's a launch pad. I actually, it's funny because you talk about the sports thing. I had a session. So I have several clients that are professional athletes right now. And one of them is double A ball player for the Giants. Coronavirus thing hit. He got released. And he's taking this radically positive. He's like, I'm telling you, this is just a launch pad for me, man. Like this is going to, literally I'm going to shift. Somebody's going to pick me up and I'm going to move into the next level in my, in my life and in my career. And he's just seeing it that way. And then I have some other clients who really struggle with it. You know, I have this one guy who's kind of on the back end of his pro career a little bit. He's a soccer player and he's really struggled, especially too, because of the athletes are all being asked to take major pay cuts and stuff like that. And he's really struggled with it because his whole identity is the game and he doesn't have a game. He's like, I don't know who I am. Without right. this and it's been really interesting when I was working with a kid today He's a player rep for Chicago in MLS. And so, and he was talking to me, he was t giving me some insight into the, uh, the meeting that they had with between the union and the league when they're talking about all, all the players taking 50% pay cuts and they're all just hyper triggered. They're all clinging to this is all we have. This is all we are. And they're watching their, 
a whole season of their careers. And, and, and those guys, their days are numbered. You know, as a right. pro athlete, your days are numbered. They were really, really struggling with it. I was coaching soccer at Bellevue High School, and the senior, we had a number one ranked team in the entire state. We were going to go after that state championship. All this, we had eight seniors. Every one of them watched that, had to watch it go. The coach, really, he was struggling. He's like, I'm really struggling with the loss of this season. And he was, you know, he told me, he's like, hey, if I'm in a few weeks, I'm still really struggling with grief. I need, to, I need some help. And I was like, yeah, just give me a call. Yeah. And it's been really interesting to watch the loss. And some people are good at losing, and they're good at grieving, and they're good at dying. And they're good at being in the unknown. And ironically, the Christians seem to be the worst ones at that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is weird because that's literally the core essence of the teaching of Jesus, like was your death, right? Yeah. And then un the unknown and then resurrection, right? Yeah. First comes the death, dying to self, taking up your cross, this idea of, of crucifixion. Um, and, I, and that's the thing. I was talking to someone who was talking about, uh, I, I did an interview for a podcast in Australia a few weeks ago these guys down in Australia and they'd had Pete Rollins on recently. And he was, they were quoting that kind of famous thing he did where he was talking about denying the resurrection, you know? Uh -huh. and, I, and I was telling him, I, I said, I think that most of us, the problem is we actually deny the crucifixion. We're not willing to, to allow ourselves to truly move into that loss and that, that good Friday and that Holy Saturday, the Holy unknowing, you know, I yeah. think we struggle with that. And I'm watching that with coronavirus. It's been interesting to watch people really cling, cling, cling and go to war with each other. I was over at Target the other day. And, you know, the anxiety, it's interesting, the energy in stores, especially in grocery stores right now. It's just so every time I come out of Fred Meyer, I'm just like, ooh, and there's this energy all over me. And yeah. I watched a girl, she was ready to go to war with this poor lady working behind the counter at Target because the thing she ordered online was supposed to be there and it wasn't. And I mean, I, I, and I just... Oh man, I'm standing behind him listening to this whole thing. I just want to go out and go, peace. But it's, hey, are you all right? I just want to, but there's just, you know what I mean? But yeah. I mean, but her ego is clinging to life with everything she got that this thing I ordered online, it was like a TV or something, has to be here, you know? Yeah. And I just, I just feel bad. That's, that's what I think. Remember when, remember in the scriptures when Jesus comes to Jerusalem, he's coming back to Jerusalem and he looks at and says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Right. Yeah. How, you know, if you only knew how I wanted to, like a mother hen, I wanted to put you under my wings. Yeah. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to cuddle you basically under my wings. I think that, 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 that's what I'm seeing. If I was, you know, in his framework, I'm looking at us and I'm going, oh, you guys, yeah. so look at how you're struggling to just be able, okay with what is just lost. That's something that the first interview I did with you and we, we had a, a discussion beforehand too. And, and you and I hit it off, I think also because, we both see the world in layers, right? Yeah. Like this, sure. this kind of layer of identity of this is what's valuable and not just what's valuable, but this is who you are, right? You're this person, you're this person that shows up and does this thing every day. Yeah. Um, I was also asked that by a friend of mine. He's like, how, how are you dealing with all this? You know? And I go, you know, I'm dealing with it pretty well. And, and he kind of pressed into me on it and, like, are you sure? Because I'm, I'm a guy who's like struggled with mental health, and addiction, right. and you know, self-destructive behaviors. Like, oh, I'm concerned, Russ. Like, really, how are you doing? And yeah. and I've done a lot of work, and I've had to really, in the last few weeks, really start to pull from underneath to the actions of some of that work. Yeah. Um. On the on the other show, we talk about like that. There's that kid in me. That, that egoic little kid. And sometimes I just got to pull him aside and go, Hey, listen, buddy, it's going to be all right. You know, right. 
Like yeah. there's that spirit in me that's learning to parent myself and yeah. say, Hey, yeah. you know, we're, we're yeah. going to be okay. Yeah. Um, because it, it drops into that other layer, but, but yeah. people don't see that layer. Right. South. I think that's why yeah. the woman freaks out at the grocery store or my yeah. wife shared with me a story today that she was reading. Somebody shared on Facebook. Um, my daughter and my son both cut their teeth in retail, right? Like they, their job, their first jobs were like retail boot camp. It's very right. much socially like fucking boot camp retail, right? right? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, and she shared this story about um, retail workers are going, hey, this is not Disneyland. Because there's people going into stores like Target and Walmart yeah. and loitering. Like they just right. hang out there right? because they feel right like they're around people they're right. doing something right. they're in the space where yeah yeah it's so it's so interesting seth because this is you know derek and steve and i steve is 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 the boomer you know derek's a millennial i'm the guy in the middle right this is all our first freaking pandemic <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah mine too and my kids are like this happened like every few years right and you're like no <laughs> mm. every hundred years <laughs> Hundred years. My daughter right? today. She finally. My she finally lost it today. She was just like, I. I miss my friends. She was crying. She's like, she's seven. She's like, yeah. yeah, I miss my friends so much. And she really does, man. Miss them. It's really something. But so how is you your, know what you were you were. Yeah. What was that? So, like, no, you go ahead. You go ahead. Yeah, no worries. Um, so relationships. That's part of what's in the news too. Is like people are either having. <laughs> lots and lots of sex and, you know, they're projecting a baby boom, you know, in the future right. or, right. you know, on the other extreme, the divorce lawyers, you know, their phones are ringing off the hook. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Buddy of mine's going through divorce right now. He's going, and it's, it's like, really, he's like, it, the proceedings are crawling because there's these are so many people. I mean, it's just been such a difficult process, but no, I, I think, I think that, yeah, you know, I think that's a pretty typical kind of thing. You're going to see a lot of people, you know, move towards each other, or away from each other. But again, you're you're stripping everyone of so many of the illusions that keep their lives compartmentalized and keep them alive, keeps them yeah. surviving. You know, if I cram you in a room and I take everything away, then now we're going to find out who you really are. You know, but it's, yeah. you know, I mean, and a lot of it, you know, money, anxiety, and all this kind of stuff that brings up. And it, I, I imagine people are getting really honest. Yeah. There's probably a lot of honesty out there right now and, and not everyone is equipped to handle that type of honesty and to handle that kind of thing. So my hope is even with all the divorce and stuff, maybe we'll, we'll have a lot happier people on the other side of it. Maybe some things are being said that have been pent up for years and need to be said, you know, yeah. I kind of try to paint it with a little more of a positive light because even though people see divorce as a negative, you know, the truth is there's a lot of marriages out there that would be better off you know, if two people went and found some actual real joy and health and happiness, as opposed to the toxic thing that exists in that space. My wife and I is fascinating because we've gotten so much busier during this time that, you know, there's a little bit of a disconnect. And we were talking about that the other day. I'm like, I'm just, cause she's like, you know, I come in and she's on her laptop and she's working and working and working. And, and I'm like, well, I'm just going to go watch a show after, you know, after the kids are now. Yeah. I'll go watch a show in the living room. She goes, no, 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 can you sit in here and watch it? I'm like, no. She goes, why just going to be with you? I go, babe, it's not being with me. You're not being with me by working <laughs> while I watch TV, you know? Yeah. And of course, please. I'm like, okay, fine. I said, but you can't interrupt me every 30 seconds to try to tell me something. And of course, that's what she did. I just kept pausing and pausing and pausing. And I'm like, do you see? And she's like, yeah, yeah sorry, you know? But yeah, we've actually had a hard time connecting, you know, 
on any of these levels because we've just gotten busier and busier and now we're trying to we have to find a work-life balance which is unique it's kind of a weird time to find it i mean my kids part of it's because the kids are home we have a small apartment in the city right and my, my kids are home all the time now which is right. one of the hardest parts you know um uh, there's That's probably a I lot of happening in front of the kids <laughs> out there right now right you know? yeah that's something my wife and I, uh, this morning, I was like, it's kind of cool our kids are growing up, right? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> like, you have no so idea. Our friends on Facebook and stuff. Uh. And, uh, and sex is, is great. Like, you know, you're just waking up and just, yeah. you know, doors open to the bedroom. Like, there's no one I else cannot imagine house. it. I cannot imagine that at all. <laughs> at all. We almost came close this morning. We started the process a little bit. Within 30 seconds, we had children on top of us and <laughs> and they were like i'm hungry and i just got up to and the dog starts scratching the door i'm like ah oh. so, so i go and i take the kids out i take the dog out take him in and do his thing come back and they're like, go get breakfast and i come in and amy's like are you gonna come back to bed you know she's with that kind of looking around i'm like she goes and then she goes are you gonna be a good dad i'm like what do yeah. you think yeah. <laughs> like i'm not like i have to you know it's like this is not a choice so it's been it's actually been quite having our kids almost been disruptive it's been i actually had to send everybody last week i sent the whole family away like my mother-in-law's place up on would be i was like i need you guys to leave because i have a book i'm supposed to be writing right now and i have a million on top of 20 clients right now and all the other work i'm doing with my company and all that stuff i'm supposed to be writing a book i'm like i need everyone to leave i'm shutting my phone off and i'm right. writing you know but i literally have to go to extremes just to get a, get the words on the page now. nothing like interruption to jack with your creative process right like dude I can do a lot of things with my kids around, but I can't do my therapeutic work with clients. And I, I cannot be creative. It's like, I can't write yeah. stuff. Yeah. You know, I literally tried one day. I just sat on the couch, put the headphones on. I'm like, guys, I'm going to try to write. Just please leave me alone. Within five minutes, my son was sitting on the back of the couch with his leg draped over. <laughs> my daughter was right next to me on her little tablet thing. And I'm just like, and yeah. she just, and you, you know, you're not going to get mad at them, you know, because I realize the day will come quite soon where they don't want to be near me anymore. <laughs> but, yeah. but, uh, yeah, it's, that's it's an interesting segue, by the way, in, into this topic, because the theological, and so there's, again, getting into theology, and I, I really want to touch on this because there's so many Christians that are, are more stuck than even secular people, right? And I think that what you just okay. touched on is a big part of that, because they see yeah. God as an abusive dad, right? right? Like, I do not, you, you look at that, like that guy in the Facebook group, like, you're going to hell. Right. 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 Your your kids, you love your kids more than you love, you know, cranking out a book or whatever you need to do. Like your yeah. that that style of love, what you're demonstrating, which is what the cross is. Right. Like we yeah. love to say that, oh, well, you know, Jesus had to pay. And this is called propitiation in, in theological terms. Right. Yeah. Right. Like God is is kind of two faced and. And, right. and he put Jesus right. Like I had right. to kill Jesus. Like God is a pagan all of a sudden, right? Like right. we got to put yeah. the ram on the thing and yeah. yeah. And that's not what's going on, right? But so that like that's popular Christianity. When I started talking yeah. about some of this stuff, I lost like half of my listeners. <laughs> when yeah. I started yeah. really just trying to pull people out of this idea that God is up there ready to throw you into the wastebasket of hell because you're right. jerking off to porn or whatever you're doing. Like right. grace is not 
valued. I mean, yeah. even me in my story, when I started going to AC3 and I met with, you know, Dan and Rick and these guys, they were the first ones to really listen to me, not tell me to do shit, right? Like, well, you need to read your Bible more and you need to pray more and you need to be obedient. They just listened. Right. And then even Dan even dropped the F-bomb, which I found like, oh, wow, like we could talk <laughs> like normal human beings, you know? He just yeah. let me talk. And, and he goes, you know, that's really fucked up. And yeah. I'm like, wow, okay, yeah. You know? Right. <laughs> and, I remember when I was a kid, man, if I heard a Christian swear, even just say hell, I'd be like, <gasps> it scared the crap out of me. I'm like, what's going to happen? What's happening? What's happening? Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's part of this, this, this story, too, is we believe in – in volcano God and what you just talked about with your kids, that's how God loves us. Like this idea of Abba Father, like that that word Abba, is in the book a lot. I mean, we yeah, we yeah. we have the English definition of love. Like I love burritos, right. I love the Mariners, I love my I love I love lamb. It's not the same, yeah. but we don't. You know, so. So talk about that a little bit, Seth, like yeah. this, this idea of volcano God, how does that keep people stuck in their, their unwanted behaviors? Well, well you know, I, I wouldn't say that it's something that we believe in or we, yeah. uh, you know, I, I think that we create and we, we unconsciously project and create that, right? And, yeah. and, and it's an idol, clearly. I mean, most, most people's representation of God, if not all, at some level is an idol, right? When we're dealing with something where, where we create, I mean, I, I, on a very regular basis, when I have Christian clients, okay, we have a conversation at some point during our work where I say, can I ask you about your God? And, and understand for your audience, I'm a Christian. Okay. I am right. a Christian. I'm not an evangelical Christian for sure. I'm not, I am a Christian mystic. I am very much in the Celtic, ancient Celtic tradition. Um, you know, it's, but when I ask them, like, I, I'll give you a great example. Like I had this kid, she's 19 years old. She's a college soccer players I, I work with a lot of athletes and she's a college soccer player at, at a at a local small christian college and it's the school where i played when i was young and, and the coach is a friend of mine he called me and said i got this player i need you to work with her um she's having panic attacks like every practice she goes she's getting the point where she just comes to practice brings a book sits down and reads because if she touches a ball she's going to start to panic and I'm like, wow, okay. So I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll start working with her. And the very first session, I, I said to her, can I ask you a question? I said, you Christian? She goes, yeah. I go, so do you, do you pray about this? Do you ask God to help you with this? And she goes, all the time. And I said, and what does he say? She goes, um, he mostly doesn't say anything. <laughs> you know, it's a very basic thing. I go, wow, that must be tough. Yeah. It must be tough just being, being ignored. She goes, I try not to think about it. And she just articulated most people's experience, but she was much more conscious of it than most because she had somebody asking her these very direct questions and yeah. she suffered enough that she was ready to break. But that's most people's reality. If everyone were to go, oh, I'm going to rewind my life and think about how many things I prayed for that never happened. And then how many times I said, you know, I watched someone came out of a good surgery because they had a skilled doctor and we go, praise to God. My, my, my uncle, two days ago, there was a big text message read in my family because my uncle had open heart surgery. This is really complicated surgery too. Like I, they were describing what was going on. I'm like, whoa. And he comes out and like, praise the Lord. He's great. And I just wanted to go, praise the doctor. That's amazing. <laughs> Eight years of medical school will give you, you know, some serious skill. But, it, but I, I get why they do it. So I asked this girl, I said, um, can I ask you a couple questions about your God? She goes, well, yeah. And I go, is your God a man or a woman? She goes, and she goes, whoa, whoa, he's both. 
he's both. Isn't that funny? He's right. both. I go, I go, come on. I go, don't give me your theological training answer with your hip new theology. I said, I want to know when you pray to your God, are you praying to a man or a woman? When you orient your body towards this God. And she goes, it's definitely a man. Goes, right. Okay. I said, is your God white or a person of color? She goes, he's white. You know, right. I go, is your God old or young? And she said, I, he, he's definitely old. I go, about how old, if you had a guess? She goes, I'm 90. She knew it, right? Uh, right. I'm 90. Oh, wow. I go, yeah, that's pretty old. Um, I said, last question. I said, is your God up or down? She said, what do you mean? I said, when you pray, do you pray up? You pray down? You pray here? She goes, up, for sure. I go, and then I just leaned in. She was sitting there, and she was kind of in a deep space. I leaned in. I said, do you believe that the creator of the universe is a 90-year-old white man in the sky? And then she just goes, it's pretty silly, isn't it? I go, yes. I go, but <laughs> let's look at it for what it is. I go, does it make sense now that he's not responding to your prayers? He's not real. And she's like, yeah. I go, now if we can come to a point where we can face that God and start to ask why we created that God in our image and what role that God has played in helping us survive. I go, we might, just might be able to dissolve that connection. And on the other side, I have a feeling that God is going to show up and yeah. we are going to experience it for the first time. And that's what the Jews called Yahweh. They, they left a space in their theology for the mystery, you, you hinted at at the beginning when you said breath is spirit and breath, right? Because you were hinting, originally that's the Ruach, right? That's in the Hebrew. Yeah. They're saying that, that there is this mystery. God is fundamentally mystery. And on the other side, right? On the other side of, of this idol being disintegrating, we can experience that. And even as the Jewish religion over thousands of years built this extremely idolatrous religion that Jesus came to rip to shreds, right? They, they still at least held this theological space, you know, in their tradition to go, Oh yeah, all this talking we're doing, it doesn't mean anything you know? yeah. <laughs> because, because God cannot be contained. God not, cannot be reduced. God cannot be understood. God cannot be conceived of. Right. right. And, but there's power there. And what I've seen in my healing, what you've seen in your healing and what that girl, that, that was our first session. We talked about that three months later, she was a starter on that soccer team. Nice. It, she was a starting college soccer player playing with joy and ability like you believe, because she was willing to start to kind of go at the trauma that was held in her body, which was the source. Her ego had constructed the God to keep her safe, the idol to keep her safe from not having to feel that trauma. All we did was just turn our attention away from the sky, from the sky God, look down inside and start to heal the trauma. And she started to discover what Jesus was saying, that the kingdom of God is within her. And there seemed to be an unbelievable amount of power contained within that, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's my goal for everybody is that they would come to that. But people seem to have to suffer quite a bit in order to be able to confront the futility of that God, yeah. if that makes any sense. Are you hearing the bing every time my old text thing goes off? No. Okay, good. Because so everybody keeps texting me. And my speakers like, and the computer aren't very good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's my, my yeah, that's, so you touched on joy where where she plays with joy i've been geeking out a bit on joy yeah. um in the last year or so explain what you mean by she plays with joy now not not necessarily yeah. like she's she's nailing it or she's the best player on the team but she's playing with joy what what is that right. yeah 
Well, what it is, is it's a way to relating to our lives. So most we have, when we, when we do things in life, right? Human beings do things. You know, yeah. Jesus said, be in the world, but not of it. So when we're in the world, we do stuff. Yeah. And being not of it is we relate to it in a, in, in a way that's actually, you know, we call, Paul called being in Christ. So we relate to what we do differently, right? So my relationship with my work. And so her relationship with her game, her relationship with her schoolwork, her relationship with her future, her relationship with academics, her relationships with other people, all that shifted when the trauma started emptying itself, it started to shift and she started to be able to relate to things as they were instead of as she, what she needed them to be. Yeah. And most of the athletes that come to me, religious or not, and the vast majority of them are not religious, the ones that come to me, they, their relationship with whatever it is, their craft, their game, it's quite toxic and usually it's a parental relation. They relate to it, asking it to love them, asking it to give them affirmation, asking it to tell them that they're valuable, that they're good. It, it's it, their identities are completely tied up in it. And mm -hmm. when we, when we heal that trauma that caused that, what happens is they, they, they get freed up to relate to the game differently. And when you start to relate to a game as a game, it turns out it's a lot of fun. And yeah. you start play, and this joy, this childlike ability starts coming in where we start to play. Anybody who's ever done creative work, I know you, you know, all your creative work, I know once in a while you've hit, sometimes it's a grind and sometimes you hit the vein where there's yeah. just this, and there's this kind of joy that comes through your center and it's this energy just popping out of your body. And that's why most real good creatives, they talk about their ideas more like, like they gave birth to them than they could thought them. Yeah. They didn't, you know, they didn't. And that idea that. of pregnancy too, you know, like I got to, right. yeah. like this thing is in, I, I got to get right. it out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, even when you talk about writing, you talk about writing a book, right? That's the idea is that, you know, like Rob Bell told me when he was teaching me about this stuff, he said, you know, you know, you got to live books before you write them, you know, yeah. and, and, and as you live them, then it's a pregnancy concept. And eventually it, the, it'll start, you'll start to feel the contractions, you know, and it'll start making its way to the birth canal. And when, when it tells you to push, you'll push. Right. But there is, there is that thing of letting those things kind of form in your womb and stuff like that. But that is a, um, that is a profoundly spiritual perspective. And it, and, and it can't, when you, when your ego has constructed an idol that is helping you survive, it's very difficult to get to that place. Yeah. Um, not that there's no creativity in the Christian spaces. Um, but, but you, you know, I mean, I, when I was a kid, I used to go, why is Christian music suck? You know, <laughs> well, it's because we were so completely limited by our ability to access that part of ourselves and you right. see it more and more now you see more and more and more creativity but ironically and this is just what i see the less religious that the christians are the more creative they become yeah. you know i mean i i was talking to a guy the other day who's a um uh it was not city church but it was one it was no it was it was this uh, new life big mega 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 church and he said nobody in our church is religious man he goes, nobody reads the Bible. No, he goes, it's just a business. It's a feel good business. And really he goes, it's not a religious space. He goes, and we're actually, they were, they come under the wing of uh, the assemblies of God. And he goes, and he said, as I've interacted with the hierarchy of the denomination, he goes, it's hyper religious, which is weird. Cause that just doesn't show up in our church. And of course you walk into their church, it's creative, it's artistic. There's the music's unbelievable. There's all this kind of stuff. Yeah. It's bullshit. It's fast food. It's, it's, it's McDonald's, but it's still, you're going to see more freedom to create and more free. And there's, and there's more of an emphasis on joy and peace and love and all those yeah. kind of things. And of course, hardcore religious people say, well, that's not really Christianity, but yeah. I mean, I mean, that's the thing is the more the idol is in charge, the less we can actually be free to, to, to feel, create, move, suffer, 
there's no that's Brene Brown, right? Like that's a big part of her work is realizing the fact that I think she was the first one to coin the phrase certainty addiction. Yeah. Because where there's certainty, there's no vulnerability. Right. And yeah. where there's no vulnerability, there's no creativity. The only time people can get creative is when they're vulnerable, right? Is yeah. when I'm going to get up on stage like a, uh, a comedian, for example, or a singer, or, or you're going to put that thing out there, that piece of yourself, you're going to put it up out there and people can shit on it, right? Yeah. Like you're going to be vulnerable. And that's, yeah. that's a big part of it. Like you're going to fail too. You're going right. to fail. It's right. not if you're going to fail. It's when you're going to fail and how much you're going to fail. Like right. that's, that's just, that's yeah. just part of the, of life. Right. And, and yeah. again, like, like that breaking the ego, right? right? Like that's a big part of this conversation. What is the spiritual? What is flowing out from center? This metaphor of the heart that the Jews came up with, right? The right. blood is pumping from the center of my chest to the tips of my fingers and the tips of my toes. Yeah. What, what is in that and blocking that? I had a friend speaking of porn that was talking about, oh, well, if you Christians can just get, you know, you're all sexually oppressed and that's why you have a problem with porn. And then I pointed him towards NoFap, right? Andrew right. Rhodes, who started NoFap, like he's an atheist. There's a lot of right. atheists. There's a lot of people who have this unwanted behavior that it, it's blocking something in there, right? Like it's, it's that thing that's blocking them. And it's not just religion, is it, Sam? No, no. It's tra trauma. Ultimately, it's trauma. We yeah. create religion in order to help us deal with our trauma. Yeah. You know, that's it. And it doesn't matter what it looks like. Religion can be atheistic by nature. It can be a financial structure of some sort. It can be, you know, it can be any, any structure where, in, in which that, that functions as an emotional lifeboat for us is is carries that burden but it, ultimately every human being trauma is the human condition every single human being suffers from ptsd you were articulating it earlier when you were talking about younger parts of you showing up yeah the young that is what ptsd is the the younger parts of us that didn't get their needs met in childhood that are still expressing those same needs and they're stuck in their trauma they're stuck in those needs and so you know where you see insecurity where you see control where you see uh you know jealousy you know, where you see um, projection, judgment, blame, all of that is the expression of PTSD in our lives. That's yeah. all of it. People trying to get their needs met. We, you know, we get control. Porn is a great story to meet a mother narrative. It's a, or a power narrative. You know, there were a lot of people, another th industry that's skyrocketing right now is video games, right? Yeah. Like my, even my brother just from scratching the itch, man. I've been playing video games like crazy with my son and it's been super fun. Like, well, there's narratives there. There's stories there. I've dealt with a lot of kids. There's 16-year-old kids that feel powerless in their lives. But, man, when they play Fortnite, yeah. you know, that power and that adrenaline and all that stuff kicks in, you know, it, all of it, it becomes something that keeps me alive ultimately. Now, if I stop all of it, this is why silence can be so disruptive because I just stop it all and I have to feel. Yeah. I have to feel in that moment. I was working with a client today and he was like, he masturbates like 10 times a day. <laughs> and he's like, how do I stop doing that? You know, we're kind of early on in the process. And I said, well, there's a feeling that presents. There's a trauma in your body that gets triggered and your ego immediately kicks into fight or flight and it goes into its escape plan. It's a natural, you know, earthquake evacuation plan. And it goes right into that. And masturbation is the way of not only getting you the chemicals you need, but getting you, there's a feeling, there's a narrative, there's a whole thing that gets there and it keeps you from ever feeling. I said, but if you 
in that moment or we're just working on raising awareness if we can come to the point where when you you actually notice there's the there's the desire and you can bring your attention down into your body where the trauma is held it's going to blow your mind what's there what presents mm-hmm. you're going to be like oh my god what is that thing in my chest and you'll start to see it and notice it and feel it and that's every human being Everyone. I think the shame narrative is a big reason why, too, whether it's Christians or, or not, you know, the shame narrative, because sex is that thing. Like, sex is the thing that, you know, we're taught very young that you you dress up, you put some clothes on, right? Yeah. <laughs> you got to stop running around naked at some point. Right. And then it becomes the thing that you don't, you don't really talk about. Like, yeah. um, it's embarrassing, right? Yeah. At some point you know, we grow up into young adulthood and for women it's, you know, well, this is part of my body that, you know, it smells bad or, you know, for guys it's awkward. Like all of a sudden it gets hard in class and and I don't like it and I don't talk about it, you know? And so that narrative starts to play out. The more we don't touch on that part of our body, right. Or that part of our feeling the way we feel about our, our own body. Sure. Um, well, well, that's the responsibility of parents too, right? That's, that's yeah. part, you know, that's, that's, <laughs> I was like on a youth pastor one time and we were talking, I interviewed her for a thing and we were chatting about it and she's like, yeah, like parents think that one, they'll have one conversation that lasts a hundred minutes and they think that that's going to do the trick of helping. She goes, I tell I always tell parents you need to have 100 one minute conversations <laughs> instead of one 100 minute conversation. <laughs> like right. if you can. We, we, you know, we have to do that. I mean, I'm, I'm watching that with my kids because we've been watching a lot of movies, obviously, during this time. And anytime someone kisses in a movie, my daughter freaks out and she's, and I can see they're looking at me going, is this good? Is this okay? Is that, my son's right. in love. We've been watching uh, Star Wars, The Clone Wars. And there's, there's this character named Ahsoka Tano and she's like a Jedi apprentice kind of thing. And my son's completely in love with her. I can tell he's totally in love with her. And, <laughs> and he's getting those funny feelings down there kind of thing, you know? And it's so funny because, I, I just, I don't even wait for him to say anything. I just go, feel pretty good. You know, cause I'll see him kind of messing with himself. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so he, he like, if you were to ask him, Hey, why are you, why are you scratching down there all the time? He'd just go, it feels good. <laughs> he just yeah. thinks that that's cool. I'm like, cause we just approach it that way. Yeah, yeah. It feels good. And it feels good to feel good. You yeah. know, we just always tell him, Hey, just, just don't do it when you're at school in front of people. That's something that's just for you. And he's like, okay. So, you know, our whole goal is to just remove that shame as much as humanly possible so that, you know, he's not afraid to come and go, dad, you know, I met this girl, you know, yeah. we could actually have a productive conversation about sex instead of zero conversation, which is what I had. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Me too. You had and, a book. Did I ever tell you about, you ever tell you about the book, the, the book that was on the shelf called almost 12 the story of sex. No, uh-uh. it stared at us my whole childhood, and we laugh and point and giggle, thinking someday my dad's gonna have to pull it. When we're almost, we assume when we're almost twelve, he'll pull that off the shelf. And then I still remember, man. Nobody ever talked to us about anything ever. And then one day, I think I was almost twelve. I think I was probably 10, 11 years old, just before we moved to Africa. And me and my brother are upstairs in a room, and and my dad comes walking, and he's got it in his hands. And we're like, oh, man. We start laughing. He's like, oh, your mom wants me to read this to you guys. And he sits down <laughs> and he just makes fun of the whole thing. And he, and he laughs with us and we all laugh. And we're, you know, punching each other and having fun doing the dad thing. And I realize now I think back and I'm like, oh, man, he was completely embarrassed. Yeah. Totally ashamed himself and didn't understand for one second how unbelievably freaking important it was 
that yeah. he engage us. And, when, and that's why when I was 19, I still didn't know what, what masturbation meant and had no fucking clue. And I was a good looking kid too. I ended up modeling in San Francisco and the shit that was said to me down there, I didn't understand anything what was going on. I didn't know anything was going on. I, I mean, I, I, I'd be at these auditions and these things and people would say these things to me and every women, I mean, I, I part of that culture, everybody just sleeps with everybody. I was scared shitless, man. Scared right. to death. Totally. Stay pure, Seth. Oh dude. And I was, I was just like, Grr. I remember a photographer, this one photographer, he's, you know, he's, you know, 99.9% of the photographers are gay and that's, and I'm not, that's fine. But like, i when you're, you know, a young, innocent kid and you're an evangelical Christian kid, you don't have a clue. I remember he's, he's taking pictures of me. He's trying to get me this sexy look or whatever. And he's just like, come on, come on. You know, he's saying stuff. I remember one point he goes, listen, he goes, listen, this isn't working. He goes, I just need you to picture two girls doing the nastiest thing you can think of to yourself. And I'm like, uh, uh. <laughs> I, was like, I, I go, I, um, I don't think you're aware of just how innocent I probably am. And he goes, all right are you like, like good Christian boy or something? I go, yeah, kind of. And he was like, Oh, Oh, uh, sorry, man. Like he was like, what the hell am I supposed to do with you? <laughs> you know, right. it was awful. Uh, and I was just, and it sucks, man. I had no clue what to say, what to, how to act, what to do. I was, I was scared to death of this intense thing happening in my body because women were throwing for, for my entire twenties. Girls were just throwing themselves at me. I didn't have right. clue what to do, you know, I remember Amy talking about that. Like, yeah, I, I got me one of the Taylor twins. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was kind of kind of famous in that way. And if people had known, if girls had known, you know, I went to a small Christian college too. I had like six different girls tell me that God had told them that I was supposed to marry them. You know, yeah. that happens, by the way, you know, Christian colleges. And right. I'm like, I didn't tell me that. Man. I'm not, I don't know what to do, but I was scared because what if you did? I'm fucked. <laughs> you know, I don't know what to do. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But the thing is, point being, Point being, man, when we talk about ultimately, it's finally funny because you and I have never really talked about parenting in this context. We talk a lot about theology and the church and this kind of stuff, but ultimately, it's on us, man. <laughs> it's on us as parents to guide them. With it. And that's the funny thing about the church and all the influence of religion and all that stuff. None of that means shit compared to parenting, yeah. compared to the influence a parent has on our child. And if a parent is not scared to let their child be a human being, and just show them, here's the world you're having, and I'm right here, and I love you, and you're safe, and yeah. your feelings are good, and your desires are good, and you just give them that goodness, you feed them that, their spirits will guide them, man. Yeah. You can trust Absolutely. the Imago Dei, you can trust the image of God inside a child, you know, to guide them through that complex, you know, maze of sexuality. Yeah, they're going to fuck it up sometimes, but my kids, I guarantee you, are not even going to be close to the fuck up that I was. Yeah. Not even close, you know? So. Yeah, man, it's being vulnerable in yourself about it too and talking about it and sure. and not being it's not that you're not going to be embarrassed but recognizing that embarrassment is kind of part of the the game yeah. right <laughs> well you know what's funny i don't think parents. i'm going to be embarrassed at all i don't think i'm going to be embarrassed at all yeah you know with my kids because because i've realized that you know but you, like you said yourself if you've come fully to your own story and you've healed your shame and you've come through, if you come fully through that and you've lived that, then you, could, you there's no reason to ever be embarrassed by it. You know, and that's what we hit on Brene Brown's work. I mean, Brene Brown, that's really the thing. Like we have to come fully into ourselves before we ever have anything helpful to say to the rest of the world. Yeah. You know? 
I mean, I, we have to live these stories before we tell them. You know that as somebody who's been telling, talking to people for years, you can't take anybody anywhere if you haven't been there, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Especially your own kids. My son, yeah. my son gets the benefit from all the suffering and all the thing, and, and he'll have his own, he'll have his own stories and his own suffering. But I have a feeling it won't be as much as I went through. Yeah, man, me too. There was a guy the other day I ended up, I was on Facebook and some guy did a live thing and I've heard of this guy before. And, you know, I'm, I'm friends with a lot of pastors and, and people that are, you know, higher ups in churches and stuff like that. And he starts live streaming this, this thing about discipleship. Right. Yeah. And it was, it was just a lot of diagrams and charts and, but it's it, the parenting aspect. Like God yeah. loves us like that. And you can't yeah. put that on a schematic, right? Yeah. Seth? Yeah. Like the yeah. teaching of that, it's grace, it's love, it's being present. Like you said, being present, you know, like, again, Brene Brown's yeah. work is like showing up, like you're showing up for, for your kids. You're showing up for the thing. Yeah. Um, that's a lot of, this idea of, of what you and I would touch on and maybe why we're not super popular amongst most Christians today, because there yeah. seems to be so much like, I want the answers, like, give me a ABC, you know, step one through five, um, maybe closing out the show. What would Seth Taylor today? How do, how would you define discipleship? Discipleship. Well, I would define it as the ancients defined it, right? Yeah. Right. We, you know, remember Jesus wasn't a Christian, right? So discipleship was an ancient rite of passage. And long before the Jewish religion, it was way, five, I mean, Hinduism was 5,000 years old. Discipleship was a part of what they did. Because the understanding was that if you want to learn something, you find your teacher. And then you trust your teacher. And then you follow your teacher, right? Yeah. You know, like the Jewish rabbis, right? They say, you know, the old saying, what was that ancient you know, prayer that they had made the dust of your rabbi always be upon you, right? You would follow so closely to your rabbi that the dust from his feet would kick up and you'd be just covered in it, right? The idea of discipleship is that we find our teacher and then we follow our teacher all the way, you know, and so the whole idea for me is when, is that if someone has, if they can first find the desire that they have, I want to have that experience in my life. And then we find someone who's gone through it, find someone who's living the way you want to be able to live, not just from an experience standpoint, money or whatever. But I mean, I noticed at the beginning, I would look at different people that I admired, Pete Rollins and Rob Bell and these guys. And I remember going, Rob, Rob, I want to experience my life the way Rob experienced his, you know, to be able to do big things, do super creative things, face, you know, watch your world fall apart and still come out on the other side, have the courage and have the, and joy and peace and love. I was like, that's the way I want to live. And so I found a way to hang out with the guy. And then whatever he told me to do, I did. And to this day, if he said it to me, it's it, Rob Bell's teaching is law. That's discipleship. What he, because I just said he got to where he is because of what he knows and what he learned from his teachers. And then I'm going to learn from him. And of course, I've taught hundreds of people the things that Rob taught me. Right? Yeah. And I have people that follow me. They're essentially disciples of mine. You know, there's, there's a few handful of guys on my pilgrimage that I would very much say are very, and they probably even embrace that title, but it's not a formal kind of thing, but discipleship is where you see someone, you go, whatever that is, I want it. And I will do anything. I will, I'm willing to die for it. That's what you, you notice that that was the test, the litmus test for a true disciple. Jesus was always like, yeah, as long as you're willing to leave everything, 
you know, yeah. <laughs> you leave your family, disown your mother and father, like, you know, yeah. uh, eat my flesh, drink my blood, you know, sell right. everything you have, give it to the poor, come follow me. Once you were, once you wanted what that person has that bad, now you become a disciple. And mm. that's how I was with Rob. You know, I was very much a disciple of Rob, you know, because I wanted, I did, it's not, it's not a success in his money that I wanted. I wanted to, yeah, I wanted to be able to, I wanted to be able to do what I loved every day, make money doing it. Um, wake up and just love, you know, he talked a lot about get it, what gets you up in the morning. He goes, it's just getting up in the morning with that drive inside you. It's just pure passion pouring through you right on into your work. But I wanted to experience my life the way he did. I watched the way he, one time me and he took one of his kids, me and him, we went to a soccer game together and I watched the way him and his son related to each other. And I'm like, that's what I, how I want to relate to my kids someday, you know? And then I just, but I decided that to execute what he was saying was the only thing that mattered. Yeah. And I was gonna, it didn't matter. I, I, I'll starve, I'll starve if I have to in order to be able to do what he says. So that's discipleship. Yeah. Interesting. And if we had that, man, find your teacher. If people were in that more ancient form, go find your teacher. And yeah. then whatever they tell you to do, do it. You know? No matter how old you are, if there's anybody out there listening, it's like, well, I'm 50 years old, I can't do this thing. No, 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 no. It, you, if you want to do this, go find your teacher and do exactly what they tell you. Yeah. You know? And do it until your life looks like that. You know? But, yeah. It find your teacher. Of, you know, that's interesting. Yeah. I've had a lot well, of teachers over the years. I don't, yeah. I don't know um, if I've, I've ever found one that I care enough <laughs> about what they're doing to emulate it. Well, um, it's not that honest. you care about them. It's that you care enough about what you want to do. Right. And you can see that they did it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. You, you kind of meld your own story. It's not like you're copying them, but you're melding your own experience or discipline into how they pulled off whatever the, the heck they're doing. It's, well, and it's, it's kind of what you're saying. When, right? when I followed Rob, I mean, of course, my personality, my calling, my talents, my abilities, I didn't know. Okay, so a lot of people don't know this, but like I'm in the world of youth sports, parenting, culture changing, mental and emotional health in youth sports. That's kind of my main area of work. And right. in that space, I'm making giant waves in the culture. Okay, it's really happening. I didn't know I would end up in that space. If you could tell me, you know, 10 years ago, if you say, what's your dream job? I would have said, that's it. But when I followed Rob down this path, I didn't know that that was where I would end up. But I knew that here you had a guy who learned how to do what he loved the most, what he felt the most passionate about, didn't give a shit about money, didn't give a shit about success. What he wanted to do is wake up every morning and do the thing he loved and he wanted to change the world. That yeah. was it. He wanted to leave the world a beautiful, more, more amazing place. And I was like, and he was willing to endure hell to get, to get it. And that was all that mattered to me. So I, so I, I would emulate and copy everything he did, you know, as far as that process goes, I was just like, just, teach me how and he and he just give me gold and i just write it down and i write it down and I, I there was days where there was times one time i flew to la i didn't i literally the only i had 265 dollars in my checking account the, the plane ticket was 260 All and right. i spent it and i got down there i literally had a few bucks i took a bus for two hours from lax to meet at a coffee shop a block from his house so that he would spend 90 minutes with me in a coffee shop and i just asked questions and wrote and just wrote wrote and then I got back on a bus and went back to the airport. Yeah. And that was literally, and it was worth it. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
because I wanted to be able to live my life and feel the way I feel. Now, I don't do what Rob does. Yeah, I speak a lot. I stand on stages and I speak and I write books like Rob does and I create things and I create content like Rob does in a totally different vertical in a totally different way. And I never thought I'd end up here, but I am. But, but man, it's because I, it was the Pearl of Great Price. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's the Pearl, that's the Pearl of Great Price. I bought the field. Yeah, I found I found it instead of just going and picking up the pearl. I'm like, I'm buying the fucking field, man. <laughs> right, <laughs> that was it. And I've yeah. and I've been homeless through this process. Yeah, my kids in a sleeping bags and backpacks in a car. I've been hungry. I've gone hungry. I've I've done it, and it didn't matter. I was pressing forward no matter what. Yeah, it was, was going to stop me because and it, and ultimately it's because I had to find out if God was real, and if this and if this God is love thing was an actual thing. And when I did it, just I don't know, man. I've discovered something very, very true about the nature of God. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's the pearl of great price. You know? Yeah. So true. Seth, thanks for, uh, thanks for doing this. Thanks for being on the podcast. And uh, Absolutely, man. I love the setup, by the way, man. This, you know, we, we had did so many old podcasts and your little tape recorder, man. It's kind of fun to hear your, your voice in full microphone and, and inflection. <laughs> yeah. You, you got the one of the great, there's a lot of podcasts out there, but there are very few, uh, there are very few voices like yours, man. Thank you so much, man. It means a lot coming from you. And you're far too kind, my friend. SethAllenTaylor.com. Search for my pilgrimage and Facebook groups. Signing out. Thanks for, All right, man. Thanks for doing this again. Thank you, man. Until next time, bye. Maybe it's time to hear. Attitudes of Sexual Integrity is a listener-supported podcast. Do you like what you hear, here? Please leave a review on iTunes, TuneIn, Stitcher or wherever you may be hearing this podcast. The podcast, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity, is owned by Digital Audio Project LLC who is responsible for its contents. SI, the podcast and its content is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended to replace or substitute for any professional physiological, medical, legal, or other advice. In addition Russ makes no representations or warranties within or through the podcast or website. If you have specific concerns or a situation in which you require professional physiological or medical advice, you should consult with an appropriately trained and qualified specialist. Like the jams we play here on the podcast? Go to ASI.org and follow the Kickin' playlist, or search ASI Podcast Bumps on Spotify. 
follow the bands if you like the music and get notifications for concert dates, merch, vinyl, and stuff. Okay bye now.